false wisdom produces two things, disorder and every evil thing. That's what false counterfeit wisdom produces. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Are you wise by the standard and definition of the Bible? Would you describe yourself as spiritually mature? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom will conclude his current series with part 10 of Wisdom from Hell versus Wisdom from Heaven. James the Apostle, in his letter, wants you to understand two things. Negatively, to understand that righteousness cannot be cultivated where there is a climate of jealousy, selfish ambition, strife, and conflict. And positively, the atmosphere of peace that believers can create, that peacemakers produce, will yield a harvest of righteousness. Are you such a peacemaker? And are you relying on the wisdom that comes from heaven? Let's join Tom Pennington now to find out more on The Word Unleashed. Notice David's response. Now, David had every right to be angry, and he was, had already been anointed king, and so he felt like he had authority behind him. He'd been angered by the way this man had responded to him, and yet notice how he responds. Notice the reasonableness of his response. Verse 32, David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to me, and blessed be your discernment, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed, and from avenging myself by my own hand. And he says what his plan was in verse 34. In the end of verse 35, he says, Go up to your house in peace. I have listened to you and granted your request. That's reasonable. There are a lot of other illustrations of it. One secular one came to mind. Ken Hughes relates the story of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln caved in at one point during the war to political pressure from a certain politician, and he commanded Secretary of War Edwin Stanton to transfer several regiments to a different position than they were currently stationed. When Stanton received Lincoln's order, he refused to carry it out, and he suggested that the president was a fool. When Lincoln heard that this was Stanton's response and what Stanton had said, This is what Lincoln said. If Stanton said that I'm a fool, then I must be, for he is nearly always right. I'll see for myself. Lincoln talked with Stanton, quickly realized that what he had ordered was a huge mistake, and he retracted the order. That is being reasonable. But you and I both know people who aren't. There are people who are so entrenched in their own views that they are completely unwilling to listen to others. No matter how much advice is brought to them, no how much counsel, they always cling to their own position. The Bible says that kind of person is a fool. Proverbs 26, verse 16. The sluggard, one of the fools of Proverbs, is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. You put a fool in a room with seven people who bring good and wise counsel who all agree contrary to this man and he'll still cling to his own opinion. I can guarantee you that when someone is known for being unreasonable like that, he or she is not a deeply spiritual person at all, 
no matter the facade they may present. Reasonable. Number four, full of mercy. Full of mercy. Mercy, of course, is a common biblical word, but it's often misunderstood. It is not a feeling that overpowers you. It includes feeling. It's a kind of sympathy toward another person's distress that motivates us to action and to help. So it's sympathy in action. It's pity with clothes on and with work clothes on, ready to move and act and respond. This is true of God. Psalm 86, verse 15 says, You, O Lord, are a God merciful. Psalm 103, verse 8, Yahweh is merciful or compassionate. Ephesians 2, 4, our God is rich in mercy. There's an illustration of mercy that I love in Psalm 103, verse 13. It says that as a father has compassion or mercy on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those that fear him. In other words, compassion or mercy is what you feel when you look down in the crib at that tiny helpless babe and what you do to alleviate that distress and that discomfort when you care for that child. God demands, not only does he have this quality, but he demands the same of all of us who genuinely know him. In fact, Christ often pointed out that the quality of mercy is a key marker of whether or not a person belongs to God at all. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees there, telling them the woes that he pronounces upon them. And he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you tithe your spices but you have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. What were those weightier provisions? Well, the one he names immediately is mercy. Mercy. And in Luke 10, verse 37, Jesus, at the conclusion of the story of the Good Samaritan, as he's comparing the actions of the Good Samaritan with those that walked by, he says, which of these showed mercy to this man? And of course, they respond, the Samaritan. He says, go and do likewise. This is a huge priority for the person who's in Christ. And this quality, notice, isn't to be found in us just in traces, in minute traces, but we're to be full of mercy. We're to be characterized by this quality of compassion and concern for those in distress and moving to alleviate that distress. Number five, full of good fruits. Now, since James connects this to mercy, both sharing the word full, he probably means that the truly wise man or woman will be known for many acts of practical mercy. You see, the Greek's perspective of wisdom, as I told you a number of weeks ago, was all in the mind. It's all cerebral. Wisdom is what you know. And our culture has adopted that same kind of perspective. But James wants us to know that if you truly possess God's wisdom, it will produce a rich harvest of fruit in your life. This is such a constant theme of our Lord's. Let me just show you briefly. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 10. And I'm just going to breeze you through one gospel. 
just so you can see how our Lord hammered this point on different themes again and again. Matthew chapter 3, verse 10. Here is John the Baptist saying, The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. When Jesus comes, he says the same thing. Matthew chapter 7, verse 17. Verse 16, talking about false prophets here, you'll know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles are they. So every good tree bears good fruit, the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Chapter 12, verse 33, Jesus makes the same point. Here, revealing, talking about how our words reveal the nature of our tree, if you will, or the nature of our heart. Either, verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks, of out, speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man out of his good treasure what is good, the evil man out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word people shall speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. In chapter 13, verse 23, there again, in talking about the kind of soil that yields the right kind of fruit, he says that the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, with a good heart, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. You see, Jesus always connected life with fruit. Where there's genuine life, there's fruit. Paul does the same thing. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. What does this mean then to be full of good fruits, practically full of practical mercies to the people around us? That's what he's talking about. That shows the reality of whether or not we're what we claim to be. John Blanchard writes, A Christian should not only be growing in his knowledge of God, he should also be the best neighbor a man could have. When there is an accident or sickness in a neighbor's home, when some crisis arises, when some need appears, the Christian should be the first to offer help because godly wisdom has provided him with a store of good fruit full of good fruits. Back to James chapter 3, verse 17, the sixth quality that biblical wisdom produces in the life is unwavering. The Greek word literally means not divided. It could mean either impartial, that is not given to partiality, it's translated that way in the King James and in the New Ameri excuse me, the New International Version. Or it could also mean unwavering, without vacillation, which is the approach the NAS translators took, and I think best reflects the flow of Paul's or excuse me, of James' argument here. This would be the opposite of unstable. It would mean that wisdom acts consistently. True biblical wisdom is stable and steady. It stays on course. James has already made this point back in James chapter 1, verse 6. 
But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. He says, listen, that instability is connected not to faith, but to doubting. Paul makes the same point in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, talking about spiritual maturity and immaturity, he says, when the church functions like it's supposed to function, verse 14, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You see, maturity brings stability. It brings consistency. That's his point. Now, none of us is ever exempt from this problem. Stability can always be a temptation. Or excuse me, instability can always be a temptation to us and can be something we slip into if we aren't guarded and protected by the Word of God. But as long as we live our lives tied to this book, it brings us the stability of the very mind of God Himself. There is in the life of a spiritually wise, mature person a consistency and a stability that is clear to those around him. The seventh quality of biblical wisdom, the end of verse 17, is without hypocrisy. This final quality is literally not playing a part. You see, the wise person doesn't hide behind a mask because he's got nothing to hide. Several years ago, I heard an account about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of the Sherlock Holmes mysteries. Conan Doyle reported that he once sent telegrams to 12 friends of his, all of whom were well-known and highly respected. Each telegram contained only these brief words, Fly at once. All is discovered. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle reported afterwards that within 24 hours, all 12 men had left the country. Now that may have been an exaggeration on his part, but nevertheless, it drives home the point that not everyone is what he seems to be. Are you? Or do you live behind a mask? If you do, then you're not spiritually mature. You are not biblically wise. You have bought into a counterfeit wisdom. Perhaps this morning you are genuine. You are sincere. You don't wear a mask. Don't think for a moment that you can again become susceptible to that. Even the Apostle Peter became susceptible to that. If we were to turn to Galatians chapter 2, you would learn there that Paul says that Peter gave in in the situation so that he was hypocritical. He put on a mask. Why? to gain reputation with the people around him, the people that came from James and from Jerusalem. None of us is ever exempt from the temptation to wear a mask or to be hypocritical in order to gain a reputation or make ourselves look good. But where there is biblical wisdom, we can be consistently genuine and sincere. And this genuineness that we're encouraged to have, this lack of hypocrisy in the New Testament expresses itself in three ways. If you are unhypocritical, then it means three things. One, it means that you will always do your spiritual exercises to be seen by God and not by people. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, don't play the part of a hypocrite. Don't put on a mask and pray so others see, give so others see, fast so others see, 
Instead, do it so God sees. So genuineness and sincerity in our faith means that we do those things to be seen by God. Secondly, if we're genuine, it will express itself in a genuine faith that doesn't put on a mask in order to build our reputation. 1 Timothy 1.5 and 2 Timothy 1.5. Our faith must be genuine and sincere. And thirdly, if we're going to be genuine and sincere, we must have a genuine, sincere love of our Christian brothers and sisters. 2 Corinthians 6.6 and 1 Peter 1.22. Do you really love the people in this room this morning? I mean, can you honestly say before God that you love them? A genuine faith expresses itself in a genuine love for people, the people of God. So, James 3.17 lays out the qualities like this. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Those are the characteristics of godly wisdom. But James has one more thing that briefly he wants us to know about heaven's wisdom, and that's in verse 18, the results. The results. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, I don't know about you, but in English, that's a very hard verse to understand. Let me give you the flow of James' thought. Look back in verse 16, and you'll see that James says there that false wisdom produces two things, disorder and every evil thing. That's what false, counterfeit wisdom produces. Now, in verse 18, on the other hand, he wants us to know that true wisdom produces peace, there's the opposite of disorder, and a harvest of righteousness, there's the opposite of every evil thing. So he wants us to know that these two kinds of wisdom produce fruit that is totally opposite from each other. I think the NIV captures the sense here, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. You see, James wants to make a negative point and a positive point. Negatively, he wants us to understand that righteousness, listen carefully, righteousness cannot be cultivated where there is a climate of jealousy and selfish ambition and strife and conflict. And positively, he wants us to know that because of the atmosphere of peace they create, that peacemakers produce a harvest of righteousness. Now, why is it that a harvest of righteousness is so important? If you're a believer sitting here this morning, that appeals to you because God has put within you a desire to live a righteous life. But why is it important? In the words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The results of true righteousness consist of peace and a harvest or of true wisdom, rather, consists of a harvest of righteousness and peace. Now, how should we apply this passage of Scripture? Well, the primary applications are the ones that James obviously intended here, and there are two of those. He makes clear how he intends for us to apply it. There are two applications, both found in verse 13. The first application is to use this paragraph as a test. 
Look how he begins verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Do you think you are biblically wise? Would you describe yourself as spiritually mature? Okay, then test yourself and see. Are you characterized by gentleness, a spirit of submission to God's providence, of graciousness and gentleness with people? Are you morally and sexually pure? Are you wholly devoted to Jesus Christ? Are you known for being peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy? Or instead, are you filled with bitter jealousy? Do you often feel resentment against others because of their success and advantages? Do you have selfish ambition in your heart? Are you always trying to promote yourself? Do you cater to and embrace sensuality and a hidden life of sexual sin? Evaluate yourself. Each of those lists of qualities describe two totally different kinds of wisdom. One genuinely biblical and the other counterfeit and pretend. Here are clear, undeniable tests by which each of us can accurately evaluate our spiritual maturity. But there's a second application James wants us to make here. Look at verse 13 again. Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. You see, this passage is not only a test, it's the answer key. It's not only a requirement, it's the road map. James says, as you test yourself, if you find yourself short, then seek God's grace to begin to obey him and to try to put these virtues on. Start to practice these things. That's why he wanted us to be able to memorize them easily. In the original text, it was so that those who heard this letter initially could have the road mapped out for them as the course they should follow in pursuing biblical wisdom and spiritual maturity. Set a sight on incorporating these virtues by the help and grace of God into your life. Study these things. Think about them. Try to put them on. Ask for God's grace and help to do it. All the things we've learned in the study on sanctification. There's a third thing here that's greatly encouraging. If you look at that list, that list of virtues in verse 17, all of them describe the character of our God. How can you expect God to respond to you? Listen, this is God's wisdom, and to whatever extent we reflect these qualities is merely a reflection of God himself. And so this is how God is toward you and toward me. He's pure, obviously. He's peaceable. He's gentle. He's reasonable. He's full of mercy. He's full of good fruits toward us, of good deeds and responses toward us, practical acts of mercy. He's constantly stable and consistent. His perspective on us never changes. And he's everything that he seems to be. God doesn't wear a mask. That's our God. And that's where we find hope, even as we come short in our own examination of ourselves, is in him. Let's pray together.
That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. And that concludes his current series titled Wisdom from Hell versus Wisdom from Heaven. Join us next time for a brand new series as Tom once again takes us to God's Word. But Tom, before we end our time for today, how about sharing a closing thought with us? You know, friend, can I just encourage you not to lose the big picture of what we've learned together? And that is true wisdom is found only in God and in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no wisdom outside of Him. And can I plead with you to seek Him for that wisdom? And there's only one place that that wisdom is found, and that is in His Word. We find the wisdom to walk in a way that honors God in the wisdom that's found in the Word of God. So my appeal to you would be to commit yourself to follow Christ, to walk in biblical wisdom by spending your life mining the riches of God's holy word. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before, or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge. Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website, and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.